Well, thank you for being here this evening. Uh, it's all about uh, coming together in the name that is above every name. And we know what name that is, right? Jesus. Amen. In the name of Jesus, we can cast out devils. In the name of Jesus, we can lay hands on the sick and see the sick recover. In the name of Jesus, we can come a sinner and be delivered and set free and born again. Our name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Born into a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We can come to Him in the name of Jesus and be poor and in Him be made rich. We can be turned around. What was going down can be turned up. What was out can be in. What the devil meant for evil can be turned around for good in the name of Jesus. Our Lord and our Savior, a name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven on earth and even under the earth and confess He is Lord. Amen. How about we choose to confess His Lordship over our lives tonight? Totally surrendering to His rule and His reign, living for Him, advancing His kingdom, not ours, His kingdom. Are you here tonight to be equipped to advance His kingdom? The kingdom that will never end your kingdom has a due date, but the kingdom of God will never expire. It will never expire. Amen. And if you will participate in advancing the kingdom of God, your rewards will be throughout eternity because our God is a good God. And he is, he is definitely uh, wanting to use you in a mighty way. I want to challenge you tonight. I think I challenge you every time we get up here because I think the word of God challenges us. It challenges us every day to get up out of the bed and live life to the fullest and advance the kingdom of God and the love on people and share the gospel with people and shine the light and the love of God every day. Every day. Amen. So if you want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23, we're going to be looking at about three or four verses of Scripture, and we're going to be looking at two skills of a lion chaser. Two skills of a lion chaser. I'm going to call the lion chaser up out of you tonight. Because God is in your DNA, in your divine DNA. You are uh, already prepositioned and conditioned by God to be a lion chaser. And if the enemy comes at you as a roaring lion, you're going to put him to flight. You're going you're to take over uh, his kingdom here on earth and expand the kingdom of God in its place. So we're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 23. Before we read, let's pray. Father, we, we bow our heads but most importantly, we bow our hearts. Lord, it's the attitude. And our attitude is to humble ourselves before you now. Lord, we know there's power in your word. Lord God, we know there's the miracles of heaven flowing to earth in and through your word. And Lord, we're about to read your word, tap into your word, be conduit of your word so that your word would come in us, change us, flow through us and change this world. So, Lord God, we pray all obstacles and all objections and all distractions be cast aside. Lord, as we draw our attention and focus on you and your word. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, the author of this great book, this divine book, this wonderful miracle working book, that you who are here as the author of this book would bring forth revelation, illumination, understanding and application in our lives in such a way that we will truly walk out of here equipped disciples of the Lord. 
I pray, God, that you would do a miracle as we study your word. For we know your word calls to our faith, calls to a sleepy faith and says, wake up, wake up. And faith arises, faith comes at the hearing of your word. And Lord God, we know without faith it is impossible to please you. So we know that we can begin to move in the pleasure and the miracle advancing of your kingdom by faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. So we are positioning ourselves now, Lord God, as a runner at the starting line, ready to hear the the pop of the pistol so that we could begin to move forward in the miracle zone of that which you have for us this night to take us into the remainder of this week, we pray. Do it by your spirit and by your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 23, beginning at verse 20, we're looking at a gentleman by the name of Benaiah. And he was the son of Joiada, let me get my Hebrew right here, who was the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel. And these some wonderful names. Who had done many deeds. Let's look at him. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. He also killed an Egyptian who was a spectacular man, and in the Hebrew it means a giant of a man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah the son of Joadai did and won a name among three mighty men. He was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. Here are three historic events in the life of Benaiah. And uh, the Bible tells us he struck down two great Moabite soldiers. Two great men that posed a threat to the kingdom of God and the advancement of God's children. And this man was used to bring them down. He also struck down this huge Egyptian. And as the Hebrew would give it clarification, he was a giant of a man. It was a, maybe uh, of the bloodline of Goliath, but he was a huge, huge man. And he had this spear in his hand. And here, uh, Benaiah went and wrested it from him and killed him with his own spear. The Bible tells us he also chased the lion into a pit on a snowy day and he killed the lion. Undoubtedly, the lion had been posing threat among the people there and among the herds and so forth. And the soldiers were, uh, could not sleep at night, could not rest at night. This was one of those rogue lions. And, and Benaiah said, I'll take care of him. And he chased him. The lion ran from him, went into his own den to hide from him. And can you imagine Benaiah went into that lion's den and took him out? Man, I'm already liking this guy. This, I want to be like Benaiah. I, I believe that God is in the business of strategically positioning us in the right place at the right time. We talked about that just uh, several weeks ago, about the right people in the right place and the right plan that God has in the right time that he has for us. I just think God has not left us here as wanderers, but he is involved in our lives if we will yield to him and follow him. I sense, uh, I know that there's a sense of destiny uh, in our birthright as followers of Christ. You're not just here by accident. You're not just stumbled onto this planet. You're not the, you're not the uh, mistake of a parent. You came from God through your parents here on purpose, sent here on earth by God. You have destiny and purpose, then that's why you're here. You need to know that. See, God is an expert at getting us where he wants us to go if we will follow him and yield to his guide. And, uh, but there's a catch I need to talk about. 
The right place often seems like the wrong place. So you can't walk by sight. You can't live by your feelings. Because many times where God has us, where he wants us, is not the place that feels the best at that moment. And the right time often seems like the wrong time when we're looking at our time. Uh, God didn't come through fast enough, but he always comes through right in time. But we would have liked it to happen three weeks earlier, two weeks earlier. Somebody say amen. amen. If I were to encounter a lion in the wild, that wouldn't be a good day for me. Amen. And, and ending up in the pit with a lion on a snowy day, even worse. I wouldn't look at that as this is the divine assignment and appointment of God. Would you expect Benaiah to come out alive? No. I would say, you dummy, you go in there, you're going to be dinner for this lion. But the Bible tells us he came out. He came out the victor. And verse 23 says that David put Benaiah in charge of his bodyguard. Wow. I wonder how he got that job. Think about it. Maybe it was part of, I chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed it. That got him that job. Maybe so. Can you picture King David going through this stack of resumes, just going through and, and, and trying to find the right person to put over his bodyguard? Here someone said, I majored in security at the University of Jerusalem. David says, no. Here someone said, well, I did an internship with the palace guard. David says, no. Well, I worked for Brink's Armored Chariots, okay? Don't think so. And then he comes on this resume that has on there, I killed a lion in its own pit on a snowy day. David said, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> Amen. I really want you to get this. Benaiah, what would be considered his worst day, became his best day. It became the very thing that qualified him for the promotion that God had for him. The very experience is, is what God used to promote him on, to be one of the top position in David's kingdom, which was surrendered to be God's kingdom. So he becomes one of the top guys in God's kingdom because he had a day where he is fighting with a lion in a pit, the lion's den, on a snowy day. I'm just here to encourage somebody tonight that God can turn things around. God can turn things around. He will take what seems to be your worst day. Anybody ever had a worst day? Maybe you're having a worst day today. He can take what seems to be your worst day and turn it around to promote you into your best day. God can do that. And we know Romans 8, 28, and all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. So what we want to do is we want to not get our focus off of God in our worst day, but love on God, serve God, listen to God, follow God, and let God do what only God can do in turning it around in our lives. Because here's the point. God is in the resume building business, if I could say it that way. I know as we've acquired the uh, world's largest Christian uh, advertising and branding and marketing company, and, and it's here, uh, housed here now to reach the world and connect the Christians in the world and to bring their finances and to bring their ideas and to bring their businesses and their divine purposes together uh, in such a unilateral way that, that I believe it's going to uh, bring the exponential of God like we've never known. I just feel like we're, we're on, the, on the cusp of something so big, I can't even put my mind around it, but I'm following God with the light that he's giving me. 
And, uh, and I know with uh, probably hiring 20 uh, people uh, here in the last month and a half going through resumes and, and uh, publishers sending me resumes, I was speaking to a pastor who was a bishop over to the churches in all of Arizona this afternoon and how he was uh, ready to take Arizona for the kingdom of God and bring this healing message and deliverance message and the power of God and the seven mountains and all this uh, into Arizona. And he's like, I see how the Shepherd's Guide and International Publishing Inc. can be a part of this, and I want to be a part of it. And I want to, to, I want to, I want to claim the whole, the whole state. And I want to be the representative. We had someone that contacted us from Europe and said, oh, we got an office in England and we want to partner with you and, and we want to take the 52 or 51 uh, countries of Europe. There's 51 that we want to claim and we want to be on the front line of those countries. I said, well, aren't... I'm just, it's bigger, bigger than what I can put my mind around, but I know it's gone. So I know what this is in looking at resumes and... Boy, people put their best moments on their resume. They don't give you any trash. I read these resumes and I'm like, there's no reason you shouldn't be employed. You're just amazing. Your mother must have written this. You are awesome. There is no failure in you. <laughs> but I believe God is in the resume building business for He is always using our past experiences to prepare you for your future opportunities. So if you're going through something or if you're going through something, know that it, it's going to have purpose. It's going to have purpose. Don't get all caught up in what the devil wants you to do and say there's defeat. No, you're already more than an overcomer. You're already more than a conqueror. So you're going to come through this thing and it's going to be part of the resume for the promotion that God has for you. The, the, these opportunities that, that come to us disguised as man-eating lions are but opportunities for us to chase these lions into a pit on a snowy day and take the threat out. It's how we react. Look at somebody and say, you heard that? Did you hear that? Heard that? It's how we react to these circumstances that will determine our destiny. You ever acted a fool? Don't answer that question. <laughs> You ever acted like a toddler throwing a fit in the middle of the grocery store because he can't get a box of Cracker Jacks? Come on now. I know you may be shaving. You may be driving. But if we're not careful, we can still act foolish. So it's how we react that determines our de destiny. We can cower in fear when the enemy puts a threat before us and we can run away and from the greatest challenges and hide from them or we can chase God-ordained destiny by seizing God-ordained opportunity and say, whatever it takes, I'm going to do and fulfill what God put me here to do. See, lion chasers grab life by the mane. I think you can tweet that. You know, lion chasers, they grab life by the mane, if you could put it that way. Man, I think that's powerful. So if we live our lives trying to just avoid all negative circumstances, we may be missing the call of God on our life. Because if the call of God on our life is to advance the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light, it sounds like there's going to be some conflict. Doesn't it? If the kingdom of light is advancing and taking territory from the kingdom of darkness, it sounds like warfare language to me. Putting on the whole armor of God sounds like warfare terminology to me. 
taking a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and a shield of faith, and taking on a breastplate, and, and, a, and a helmet, and, and a belt, and, and shoes preparation. You know, I'm, I'm, when I look at all that, that's warfare terminology. So we have to uh, take out of our mind this pacifist mentality that life is just to be negative circumstance free. I know I'm raining on somebody's parade right now, but I'm going to help somebody if you'll listen to me. Because the enemy, as a roaring lion, is going to try and cause some problems in your life. See, goodness is not the absence of badness. See, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. That's good. Our calling is so much higher than simply running away from what's wrong. We're called, we're called to face and to do a standoff to that which is wrong with that which is right. We're called to chase lions. We are to look for opportunities that, and the challenges that are around us and we're to, be, we're to take risk in order to reach God's best. You'll never reach God's best running and living in fear. You're always going to be willing to have to take risk. There has to be that. So we're going to look at two skills of a lion chaser. Two skills of a lion chaser. And the first one is this. You must enlarge your vision of God. Don't get scared now. Uh, don't get scared as you look up here. You see the ferocious face of the enemy. Okay. Enlarge your vision of God. You must understand that He helps you defy the odds. So you've got to enlarge your vision of God. I didn't say enlarge your vision of how great you are. Come on now. I said you've got to enlarge your vision of God. You've got to see that God... He is here to help you defy all the odds. Let me give you some rundown of Scripture to prove that point. There was a man named Noah. He had never, ever been captain of a boat. He would never even seen a boat. But he, with God's help, defies the odds. And this novice captain had eternal cargo that brought us even our life today. There was a man named Abraham. He came up from a mess. He came out of a messed up family that worshipped false gods. I know none of you came out of a messed up family. Your families were the Leave It to Beaver families, but but Abraham came up out of a messed up family, and yet God was able to use him to advance His kingdom in such a way and bring covenant to us. There was Isaac being born to a hundred year old dad and a ninety year old mom. Can you imagine that? When you're born, dad, you're gonna be at my graduation. Well, I'll be 118 then. You know, you know. So, so this is Isaac. And there was Jacob as a weaker twin. He comes out and he becomes the leader uh, over Esau. There was Joseph. Every brother was against him. He, the slave traders were against him. Even all of Egypt turned against him and threw him in prison. It looked like he was going to have a horrible life. There was David. He was a boy. He faced a lion. He faced a bear. He faced a giant. And then the runt becomes the king. The runt becomes the king. You may just say that right now. I've been looked over and I've been cast aside and, and the enemy didn't even take me seriously. But with God in me, God in me, Christ in me, Holy Ghost in me, I'm going to rise up, fulfill my destiny, and you better watch out, devil. I'm on the advance. Hallelujah. And here's Benaiah. Two to one odds. 
He had two of these Moabites, mightiest men, two of their mightiest men. He was double teamed. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a fight and you've been double teamed, but it's no fun because while you're, you're defending one, another one's punching you in an area that you, you, you're open because you're defending one. It's a tough place to be, but he defied the odds of two to one with these Moab, uh, Moab's mightiest men. Also, he had a ten to one odds with this Egyptian giant. This giant had a spear the size of a weaver's rod, we find. And here, Benaiah, he had a little club. He's just a little club, and here's this uh, Egyptian giant with a, a spear the size of a weaver's rod. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a show that used to be on Townsend, and I used to like to watch it called Deadliest Warrior, just to fight the nature of the, of the uh, soldier and the warrior in us. We, we can take things like that, and we can make application to it. And on the Deadliest Warrior, they would say, who would win if uh, you had... This one from this era, uh, a leader, and this one from another era, and they were to stand off. And then what it will do is it will take and it will look at uh, what their advantages and disadvantages is to see uh, which one they could do. Well, let's do that with Benaiah. Benaiah, he had a club. So uh, we see that the warrior had a spear the size of a weaver's rod. So I think the weapon advantage would go to the Egyptian uh, uh, giant, right? The giant was probably about seven and a half feet tall. Benaiah was probably around five feet, six inches tall. So I think the height advantage would go to the giant, right? The giant weighed uh, around 300 pounds, and most of it was all muscle and bone. And Benaiah probably weighed around 150 pounds. So I think weight advantage would go to the giant. The giant had a reach that was approximately 20 to 24 inches more than Benaiah had. So Benaiah could not get within two feet of this giant without getting a tumult. So I would say reach, fighting reach advantage would go to the giant. So if you were to look at the natural, it looks like a David and a Goliath standoff once again. And Benaiah... I don't know how. I wish the Bible would give us the details. I can't wait to ask him when I get to heaven one day. But Benaiah goes in in this fight and with that reach disadvantage, with the weight disadvantage, with the, the, the weapon disadvantage, with all of these disadvantages, he's able to get in and take the spear from the giant and kill the giant with his own spear. Now, now, he must have been fast. It must have been some Holy Ghost accelerated speed. He must have become flash before flash was possible for him to be able to do that. And with God, all things are possible, right? So, so, so the same Benaiah is the one who chases a lion into a pit on a snowy day and kills him too. So, so that you might would call that hand to Paul combat. So he knew what it was, hand to Paul combat. Now, what are the odds? A lion uh, weighs 450, maybe even 500 pounds, the largest ones, and Benaiah weighs 150 pounds. Weight advantage goes to the lion, at least 200 to 300 pounds. A lion runs approximately 30 plus miles an hour, and the speed advantage here would have to go to the lion because uh, Benaiah, at best, runs 10 to 15 miles an hour, at best. And so their speed advantage goes. Now, the leap advantage, a lion, 36 to 40 feet. And the world record for a man is 29.4 feet, I think. So we know that the lion has the leap advantage. Once again, it goes to the lion. 
The lion sees five times better than a man who has 20-20 vision, so visual advantage again goes to the lion. The lion lives in a pit. He may live in a den, so if you're going to fight him in a pit or in a den, you, he has home field advantage, wouldn't you say? So there again, home field advantage goes to the lion. So a full-grown male lion weighing hundreds of pounds more than this man, runs many miles faster per hour, leaps further, has environmental advantage, has jaw power that can crush the skull of a human man, has teeth that can rip the flesh off of the bones, normally kills wildebeest, okay? They kill wildebeests and giraffes for dinner. Here's Beniah, just an appetizer. Just, just cheese sticks before the meal. Okay, so the odds have to be probably at least 100 to 1 lion's favor. But Beniah did what lion chasers do, and, and Beniah did what I'm challenging you to be a lion chaser and for you to do. He defied the odds. He did not focus on his disadvantages. He did not make excuses. He didn't try to avoid the situation where the odds were against him because lion chasers know that God that they serve is bigger than the obstacle, obstacle, more powerful than any problem that you will ever face. And we know that our God will show up and show out if somebody has faith to just show, uh, to be there to show up and do what God has called them to do. See, lion chasers thrive in the toughest of circumstances. I'm speaking to the lion chaser in you. It's part of the DNA that God shows us in the Old Testament that He created in us. And I'm speaking to you because that, <clears throat> there's a, a natural side of all of us that want to run and stick our head in the sand or cry or, or, or avoid at all possibility tough circumstances in life. But if we're going to rise up and we're going to advance the kingdom of God and as a church we're going to come against the gates of hell and, and take them off of their hinges and advance God's kingdom and take back what the enemy has stolen, there has to be a lion chaser mentality and heart in us. So we as lion chasers, we, we thrive in the toughest of circumstances because we know that impossible odds, they set the stage for amazing miracles. And God said this is the year of an open heaven that we're to be aware of. And it's a, a, a year where we are to expect miracles like we've never seen before. Well, you don't need a miracle if you're hiding in your comfy, comfy bed and just lock the door. You don't need a miracle there. You need a miracle when you're facing the tough circumstances when the devil says you can't have it and God said I've already given it to you. There's going to be a standoff there and the lion chaser says devil you either move to the side or I'm going to run over you and if you run I'll even chase you down and take you out. You're not going to keep me and God's people from this anymore. This is how God reveals His glory. And this is how God blesses you in ways that you could never imagine because the set is so that if God doesn't show up and show out through you, then you're going to be defeated. So you're not going to be tempted to take the glory when the miracle comes. If what you're believing God for is something you can attain or accomplish in your own strength, I'm, believe you me, it is not vision. It is not vision. What you're doing is looking at an easy way to live life and exist. Vision, God will show you, and it is taking territory. It is advancing. 
It is taking on things that will challenge you, and if God doesn't show up, you're going to fail. That's the vision God gives you, is if God doesn't show up, it's not going to happen. And that's where God wants us to live, because God wants us to live in the miracle zone of life. See, many times God doesn't intervene until something is humanly impossible, what we call Him coming through just in the nick of time, uh, when the, uh, the odds are just so set against us. I just believe that's part of His personality. I, I've served Him long enough. I, you know, if He can correct me if I'm wrong, but I just think that's part of His personality, that He likes the odds to be so stacked up against you that you know when he comes through, you're not going to touch it. You're not going to touch his glory. You're going to say, had it not been for the hand of God, had it not been for the provision of God, had it not been for the miracle manifest of God, it would have never, I'd have never come through it. To God be the glory. Hallelujah. Because the bigger the issue, the more glory he, he gets through it all. I mean, think about Gideon's army. Think about when you go to Judges 6 and 7. Do you remember the story? Here's these innumerable, innumerable Midianites. The enemy, you can't even count them. You can't even count their camels. And here, God calls Gideon to lead an army. And Gideon replies, uh, okay, let, let he said, I'm the weakest. I'm, I'm the weakest of the weakest. I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm the weakest of my family. Here I am, a coward hiding in a wine press. God says, you're the one. You're the one. See, God likes it when the odds are stacked against us, you see. So then Gideon pulls a call out and 32 men come out. And even though they're outnumbered by the Midianites, you can't even come up with a number because the, the enemy was innumerable. So you can't even know what the difference was. But there's 32,000 men. That's a big showing. And God says, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. Ask who is fearful. Send them home. 22,000. Go. And he's left with 10,000 men. And I'm telling you, 10,000 men against an innumerable army would still have you shaking in your boots, but 10,000 men is still 10,000 men. So he goes to God and God said, Nope, you still have too many men. I can't deliver the, you, uh, the Midianites into your hands with this many men. Uh, so you got to take them to the water and see who's all about themselves and their thirst and what they want and what they need and all about them. They'll drink like a dog, but there'll be those that will care about their watching their soldiers and their brothers back. And when those that dip and drink out of their hand, he said, keep them. Ninety seven hundred were selfish because they were thirsty and it was all about their thirst and their need. And in that water with their head, they're drinking like a dog, sends them home. Now he's got 300 men left. So now the odds are pro probably more like a million to one, okay? And then God says, okay, just to make this thing more interesting, here's what you're going to fight with. Here's your weapons. Take a trumpet and a clay pot and a lamp. That's all I need you to have. Just a candle, a clay pot, and a trumpet. Now you know this is God's personality. It has to be. Come on now. This helps me. This helps me when I'm standing there with a water bottle and I've got an inferno before me and I'm like, God, what 
and then I'm like, oh, yes, Gideon, I remember. Benaiah, I remember. Yes, Lord. And, and, I'm, and, and I can go against that which the enemy's bringing against me with my water bottle or with my little shepherd's rod or, or my cow prod. If you remember uh, the, the gentleman that stood and, and fought off the whole army of Philistines that was coming to take their, their harvest. And he said, oh, no, oh, no. Shema says, not going to happen this time. We raise it. We're going to eat it. We're going to take care of it. And all the other farmers left, but there he is with a cow prod. And he stands there and he says, nope, I'm not going anywhere. And he defeats that whole garrison that has come against him of trained soldiers, not in his strength. That was God. That was God. That was God. So here they are. They got a trumpet, a clay pot, and a candle. And guess what? Israel wins. Israel wins. If God be for you, who can be against you? Somebody needs to hear that. If God be for you, who can be against you? And they can't praise anybody but God because without God they had no chance. Amen. See, too often I believe our prayers revolve around asking God to reduce the odds in our life. Let's get honest. We're kind of like the men drinking out of the water like dogs, lap, lap, lap. You know, God, make our life easier. Meet my need. Lord God, take the odds, take the obstacles, take the challenges away. But, but maybe God wants to stack the odds against us so that we can experience a miracle of divine proportions. So if this is a year of miracles like we've never recorded before, lets me know that the enemy is going to be coming against you and he's going to be stacking odds against you. And because the odds are stacking higher and higher, is not, it does not mean that God has left you. It does not mean that God has turned his back on you. He has not forsaken you. He's going to bring you through victorious in the right time and in his way and in a way that he gets the glory. Because maybe faith is trusting God no matter how impossible the odds are. Maybe that's what faith is. That we're going to trust God no matter how bad it's looking. That we're going to trust God no matter how tight the pitch gets. Maybe our impossible situations are opportunities for us to experience a new dimension of God's glory for Him to take us to the next level. And what I've started doing to help me stay on focus, is I'm celebrating at the next level before I see that level ever achieved because I know God is faithful. I'm celebrating the healing before the healing comes. I'm celebrating the financial breakthrough before the financial breakthrough comes. I'm celebrating deliverance before I feel the chains ever off of my life because I know that God is who He is. He is faithful. He cannot change. He cannot lie. And He will deliver. He will do what He says He will do. And that keeps me in faith. So you see me celebrating every day and it is not because my life is without challenge. If we were to sit down in a quiet room and I were to show you all the challenge, you may would start feeling sorry for me. And in the flesh, I might start liking you feeling sorry for me. And I would drop my guard and let the hordes of hell take that ground. But I'm not going to do that. I've come through too many battles. 
I've come through too, too many miles and I've witnessed the hand of God deliver in every circumstance, in every situation that I've ever depended on Him. So I'm not giving in to a moment of flesh weakness and, and giving up what faith has already decreed is mine in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. A.W. Tozer said, how you think about God will determine who you become. Let me say that again. How you think about God will determine who you become. <coughs> See, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A low view of God causes, opens the door for these evils to come in and have rule and reign in our lives. But a high view of God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. Because you're going to stand in faith and you're going to say, No, devil, you're not coming through this front door. And if he comes through, tries to come through the window, you're there. No, you're not coming in this window. And if he tries to come in the back door, you're saying, No, you don't allow it. You don't allow it. Why? Because if God be for me, I don't have to put up with it. If God be for me, I don't have to live in defeat. If God be for me and has given me all authority over the power of the enemy, and the enemy by no means shall harm me, then I've got to exercise that authority. And that comes from a high view of God. Hallelujah. See, you're not just the product of nature and nurture. You are also the byproduct of how you picture God. And that's one of my, <clears throat> my, my functions, my callings, my, 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 I feel like my destiny is to always remind you and help you uh, be equipped to see God for who He is. Not what religion has reduced him to. Not what politics has said he can and cannot do. But who he really is. He is king of glory. He is still the creator of the heaven and earth. He is still on the throne. And if I can help you see who God is, you are the byproduct of how you picture God. This determines how you'll see everything in your life. Amen. Yes. <coughs> While you clap, I'm going to take a sip and get ready for part two. Hallelujah. So I must say then, most of our problems are not circumstantial. They are perceptual. Now let's get into some theology and some really understanding how life works, okay? Sometimes we say, oh, we're just a product of our circumstances. I don't believe that. Yes, we were created by God with, on purpose, with destiny, and we've been placed in this world, and we will be faced with circumstances. But I believe that most of our problems are not circumstantial. They are perceptual. Our biggest problems can be traced back to an inadequate understanding of who God is. See, see our problems seem big when our God seems small. Let me say that again. Our problems seem big... When our God seems small, we actually reduce God to the size of our biggest problem. Yes, help us, Lord. Again, Tozer said, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. But a person with a high view of God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. A low view of God and a high view of God is the difference between scaredy cats and lion chasers. So I'm asking you to rebuke the scaredy cat in you, and we all have one. 
You can show me your guns. I don't care how tough you act. We all have a scaredy cat in us. The enemy has found a little weak place that he knows that if he, he pokes in that area, we get all nervous, we get all weak, we get all scaredy. And I'm speaking to us to rebuke that scaredy cat mentality and to embrace the lion chaser we were created to be. Because scaredy cats are filled with fear. Because their God is so small. Scaredy cat has a small or low view of God. But lion chasers have no fear. Lion chasers know no fear because they know that their God will do exceedingly and abundantly above all that they can ask according to the power that works in us. They understand that. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? That your God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Whatever you could ask or think, he's, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all of that which you ask or think according to the power that he has in us with his very presence living in and through us. That's Ephesians 3.20. Amen. See, astronomers, they have discovered galaxies 12.3 billion light years from the earth. Can you picture 12.3 billion light years? No. Beyond me. See, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And think about this. It only takes eight minutes for light to travel the 93 million miles between the sun and the earth. And these 93 million miles with the speed of light at 186,000 miles per second, it only takes eight minutes to get light from the sun. Now I wish I could go on vacation and travel that fast. <laughs> Can you imagine? So the light that we have is eight minutes old. But get this, light from the furthest galaxy takes 12.3 billion years to get here. That's how big this thing is, and that's just what we've discovered. It's bigger than that. And God created all of that. Do you, do you, are you broadening your view of God? And God says that it's about the distance between His thoughts and our thoughts, okay? So your best thought about God on your best day falls 12.3 billion light years short of how great and how good God really is. So I'm trying to help you get some perspective to enlarge your vision of God. He's bigger than anything you'll ever face. It's really smaller than a gnat. It's smaller than a grain of sand. It's smaller than a molecule. It's smaller than an atom to Him. Your biggest problem is smaller than that to Him. We must enlarge our vision of God and it helps us defy the odds because now we know if God be for me, who can be against me? So now a boldness will arise in the people of God to stand up against the corrosion and the erosion and and all that the enemy is doing to take life and liberty and peace and health away from the people of God. And the people of God will say, no more in my life. So we must enlarge our vision of God. Secondly, and I said I'm going to give you two skills of a lion chaser. The second one is you've got to learn to face your fears. You've got to learn to face your fears. Or either you'll be imprisoned by them. Maybe you're in here tonight. And you are already imprisoned by your fears. Well, I'm here to get, give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago was already provided. Your bond has been paid. It's time for you to come out of that prison. It's time for you to come out of that limitation thinking. It's time for you to come out of that scaredy cat mentality. And we must face our fears and stop being imprisoned by them. So I've got this saying that I like to live by. Don't accumulate possessions, accumulate experiences. Because possessions cannot satisfy. The wealthiest of men and the wealthiest of women that has ever been interviewed has found that all of the stuff actually becomes a burden. It doesn't satisfy. You think it would because you've not had the responsibility of managing all of it. But nonetheless, uh, it does not satisfy. So don't accumulate possessions, accumulate experiences. And when I say experiences, I'm saying experience the fullness of God's plan for your life. Don't let any day, week, or year pass you by that you're not living in the fullness of what God and who God has created you to be. We're not going to let any, I can't do it, I wasn't brought up, I don't have that understanding, it's just something, you know, uh, I feel it in my heart, but I'm scared to step out. None of that, none of that. Step out, experience it, and you'll experience the miracle hand of God in the midst of it. So don't let mental lions keep you from experiencing everything God has to offer. So the greatest breakthroughs in your life will happen when you push through your fear. And you, some of you are amen because you know it to be true. You finally stepped out, and now that you stepped out, didn't make, didn't make it get easier. It may have even gotten harder, but you found out that the giant or the roaring lion was not as big and mighty as your God who you stepped out with, and how great it is that you face that fear, and now you're moving forward <clears throat> in a, a new level of what God has for you. See, the defining moments will double as the scariest decisions. I know stepping out and uh, coming to here to plant a church without any backing, without any money, just on a call from God, that God says, I want you to start a church here. I'm not done with this place. I want a church built up here. I want a devil, devil fighting, destroying um, powerhouse to arise out of this place. A launching pad, he said, to rise up out of this place. And, and it was like ashes. It was like, how could that ever be? But God said it. And, and I faced it. And I remember my, remember my mom, uh, she uh, uh, was uh, dating this gentleman at the time. And uh, he had a truck and brought my, uh, soap, my sofa to me. Uh, brought a piece of some furniture or something. Maybe it was my bed, I forget now. And when she drove up here, her mouth fell open and she said this here publicly before and she'll probably be looking at this. Mom, I'm still telling on you. And she said, oh no, you can't stay here. You'll die. I said, what am I going to die of, disease? You know? you know? She's like, no, this is horrible. This is not good. This is, you need to come home. And I'm like, but God has called me. And she says, you know, she tells everybody she cried all the way home. I'm sure when they stopped at the Waffle House, she stopped for a few moments. But nonetheless, <laughs> that's her story. And I have to be honest, it was a scary time in my life. But that scariest decisions that you make will double as the defining moments in your life. I remember when we were there and God says, it's time to rise up and build. And I want you to maximize what you have here. 
which meant we couldn't build a shed of rooms here and a shed of an overflow room there. We had to maximize, and in order to maximize, we had to go ahead with the full picture of what we could do with this property and go as high as we could, as wide as we could, because we didn't have any more land at that time, and that was going to define it. So here's this little church stepping out to, to, with a vision and the picture that you've had before you for years of building this 33,000 plus square foot ministry center and it seemed like an impossibility. Why would that little church try to undertake that? Why not you build a little thing here and a little thing there because God says I want you to maximize the property. So we, we stepped out to do that, and I'm here, and you're here, and we live. Did we die? No. Did, did, you know, did we come down with uh, 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 the growths off of our face for doing it? No. God has been faithful. God has been faithful. So defining moments will double as some of the scariest decisions, but you've got to face those fears and begin the process of, of what I call unlearning. See, half of learning is learning. Isn't that deep? Boy, you can say, really? That's how, that's how you got your PhD, Pastor. That, that's how you passed. Half of learning is learning. But the other half of learning is unlearning. Think about that. And unlearning is twice as hard and usually takes twice as long as learning. I'll give you an example. This has never happened to me. Men, you can know this. This has never happened to me. Lord, forgive me, I am lying. <laughs> you're talking, and because you're talking, you miss your exit on the interstate. Okay? Because you got a one-track mind. And if you're talking, you're in that conversation. Your wife can never say you're not committed to the conversation because you're there. You don't even know you're on an interstate. You don't even know you're driving. There's muscle memory keeping you between the lanes. So you miss your exit. Now think about it. When you miss your exit on the interstate, then for every mile you must travel, you've got to turn around. You have to travel that same mile coming back. So if you've done like me and missed the interstate at Tawana, then uh, we're going to the men's retreat, and you miss it, you can't turn around for like three and a half miles or four miles. It's nothing but trees, and you could illegally do it, but I'm, I, I follow the law. So you got four miles up, and then you cross over, and you got four miles back. So you got eight miles. It got doubled. It got doubled because the unlearning usually takes twice as long. Jesus' primary goal in his teaching was to help people unlearn. Read the Gospels with that in your mind. To unlearn a religious system that had been established uh, that, that was limiting God that was saying uh, the opposite of what the Messiah, how the Messiah was coming. It was saying he was coming in a different way. They had learned it wrong. That's why you hear Jesus over and over saying, you have heard it was said, but I tell you. What was Jesus doing? He was uninstalling that Old Testament concept that had gotten off its lane, and he was upgrading our minds with a New Testament truth that we are now to live by. That's why, example, Matthew 5, 38, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Wow. <clears throat> the unlearning. 
Matthew 5.27, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5.43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. See, half of spiritual growth is learning what we don't know. Right? And the other half is unlearning what we do know, but we, our know is wrong. I grew up that the Bible, when it, the canonization of Scripture came about, that was the completion of that which was perfect, and the apostles and pro- uh, prophecy and, and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and all of that stuff passed away. It ceased. And healing you might, get a, you might get a grace touch from God that you didn't ask for, but don't expect it because healing is no more. And this thing about prosperity, the poorer you are, the more humble you are, and that's how God wants you broke, busted, and disgusted, so learn to live with it. Stop complaining and whining, but learn to live with it. That was the teaching I had. And when I got into Bible college, away from that teaching into Bible college, and actually started learning in the Greek and the Hebrew what the Word of God literally says, and it's in the English as well, I'm like, that's not what the Bible says. So the Holy Spirit had to help me get some unlearning. I'd pass the exit, and it took me twice as long, but I'm committed to let you hear the truth in this house because it's the truth that will set you free. I'm telling you, anything else will bind you. So when we study the Word of God, we are literally upgrading our minds by downloading the mind of Christ. That's what's happening when we're studying the Word of God. Romans 12 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we've got to have our minds renewed and we've got to be transformed. A metamorphosis has to take place. A study was done with the National Institute of Mental Health where they asked people to perform a simple motor task, finger tapping. We want you to just tap your fingers together. And as they tapped their fingers, an MRI was conducted to identify what part of their brain was being activated as they were tapping their finger. And as they were practicing tapping their finger, they said, now we want you to go and we want you to tap your finger for four weeks. Some of you forgot that the, the study is over and now you tap on the table or you tap on a chair. You get something, you're always tapping. Okay, okay, four weeks. After four weeks, they were brought back in and another MRI was done. And to their amazement, the area of their brain uh, that was activated four weeks earlier from the tapping of the finger had now grown. It had expanded. It was, it was, it was just blowing up the, the MRI. New nerve cells were recruited and rewired uh, neuronal uh, connections had taken place. And now there was a whole factory in a, on, a, 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 of nerve cells connected and wired together, hardwired together where four weeks earlier it was just just a little light kind of taking place, a little spark from doing that. See, it's muscle memory. It's, it's wiring our minds. That's why you have to learn. You have to, if you know that the power of life and death is in your tongue 
and you know that blessing and cursing, that power's in your tongue, you've got to rewire your mind to make sure that you are getting a new muscle memory, that you speak the Word of God, that you speak life, that you speak light, that you speak blessings, that you, you're not whining and complaining and you're the victim and it's always about somebody's against you. And turn, I'm telling you, you take your mouth and line it up with the Word of God and you rise up over your circumstance and situation and instead of being pressed down and pushed under, you become a lion chaser and get promoted like, like Benaiah got promoted as the man in charge of all of his soldiers there, David made him. See, we download a new operating system that reconfigures the mind when we study the Scripture, study the scripture and, and quote the Scripture. We've got to learn to say the word. You say, well, I don't know what to say. Say the word. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know the whole Bible. I didn't say the whole Bible. I said the word. It may be just a word, but it's the word. You'll eventually learn more scripture, but you need to lock in to a few until it's muscle memory. Amen? Philippians 2, 5, let this mind which be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible says the mind of Christ needs to become your mind. Let it be your mind that you have the mind of Christ. That's not going to happen overnight. How does that happen? We've got to Colossians 3, 16. We've got to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you get the mind of Christ? You let the word of God dwell, have habitation, uh, become the resident of your tongue, the resident of your thoughts. you got to take the word of Christ and not just uh, speaking it, but doing it. As James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So with our new knowledge of the word of God, we have to face our fears and conquer them. According to psychiatric reference books, approximately 2,000 fears have been classified. Can you imagine? 2,000 fears have been clinically classified. Yet we're only born with two in eight eight fears. An an infant has two fears, falling and loud noises. And now we've got, by 13, 15, 20 years old, there's 2,000 we've got listed. Wow. So that means all of these fears have to be learned, which means they can be unlearned. Somebody say, I get it. Think of your, think of your fears as mental lions. And you've got to chase those fears. You've got to conquer those fears or they're going to hold you captive the rest of your life. 1 John 4 and 18 describes our relationship with God saying there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Wow. So if we're going to conquer our fears, we've got to fall in love with God. We've got to embrace the love of God. We've got to become confident of who He is in us and flowing through us. The goal of love is fearlessness. Amen? So as we grow in our relationship with God, we can unlearn these fears that paralyze and neutralize uh, us spiritually. But you got to face your fears. Facing your fears is is a lot like taking an immunization shot, okay? When you get an immunization shot, they don't give you the opposite of what they are immunizing you from, right? Rather, they give you a small dose of the very thing. 
And why are they doing that? Because once your body faces that disease, it builds up an immunity against it. So if your fear is a fear of failure, you need to experience some failure, not, not success. You're like, oh, I just need success. You need to face some failure so that you need to chase that lion down and kill it and it'll help build an immunity against failure so that you can move forward. There's a lot of people feel like, I can never do what God's called me to do because I may fail at it. You need to face it. And if it takes a little immunization shot of a little failure in your life, don't give up. God's not going to give up. Get up and keep going. Hallelujah. If you have a fear of rejection, then you don't need acceptance. That's the last thing you need. What you need to experience some rejection. Chase that lion down and kill it. And learn a little rejection is not going to kill you, devil. You're not going to stop me from doing what God's called me to do because i got a fear of rejection. Come on now. Satan has not retired. We know that. I'm going to try to wrap up with this right here. 1 Peter 5 and 8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, looking for someone to devour. We talked about his four tactics the other day, but I'm going to just look at two of those, discouragement and fear. He wants you discouraged, and he wants you to bow out because of fear. He wants you to focus on your past mistakes and, because he's the accuser of the brethren. He wants you to rehash your mistakes over and over because it'll cause you to lose courage. Who in here, who is, who in here can raise their hand and say you've never failed? You've never failed. No one. But the enemy will take your past mistakes and will take your past failures and rehash them over and over to keep you in the prison of fear so that you won't step and do what God's called you to do today. He wants to scare the heaven out of you. <laughs> I didn't say it the other way. He's a roaring lion. He wants you to live in fear. He wants you to live your life where you're reactive and defensive to what he's doing rather than on the offense. I played football in, 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 in high school and growing up, and, and uh, I, loved, I played defense and offense, but I loved offense. Defense is very, very important, but I loved offense. I love taking and scoring and winning the game. Hallelujah. I loved it. I, it was so much fun. And I uh, played uh, fullback. And, uh, and those uh, short runs that I could get, uh, our, our, our new yardage coming in, our first down or, or a touchdown when we were on the goal line. Man, that's just that's an amazing feeling. I love winning. And, and, and I believe God put that in me. And I think God puts that in all of us. That we need to rise up and be winners at what God has called us to do. That, that we go forward and, and every battle we face that we, we jump over it or we plow through it or, or we come through it with God's strength and God's help and God's wisdom and then we shall come forth victorious and what a great thing that is. And, and you need to just say, devil, you, you, if, you, if I can identify anything you're holding over me, I'm going to chase you down. I'm going to chase you down. I believe it's in us to chase things. I know as kids, they love chasing butterflies and fireflies and frogs. Frankie, you still probably chase frogs, don't you? You know, and birds and rabbits and deer and fish. And they chase dad, chase mom, chase each other. I believe all of us were created with a chasing gene. We need something to chase. That's why guys maybe chase girls and girls chase guys. And, and uh, our girl, where's Morgan? Y'all don't be chasing. Okay. <laughs> We chase academic goals and athletic goals and artistic goals and we chase degrees and we chase positions and we chase goals in our lives. I believe God created us to chase lions. 
I believe this story about Benaiah in here is to identify for us that there's a lion chasing spirit in us. And if a lion is putting that, posing a threat to keep us from advancing, rather than not advancing out of fear, that we enlarge our vision and we see who God is and that God is for, is for us, who can be against us. And then we face our fear, even if we have to chase that lion into a pit, its own den, and destroy it there. I pray tonight for each and every one of you I pray that the lion chaser would be unleashed in you. That's my prayer. Would, would you stand with me now? God, we just stand in your presence here tonight, God. And as we prayed in the beginning, we pray in the close. God, work a miracle. Work a miracle in us, Lord God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. Our faith is at another level than it was 40 minutes ago. So, Lord, I pray that you would enlarge our vision right now. Help us to enlarge our vision of you, defying the odds that nothing, nothing coming against us is going to stop us. If you've deposited a dream in us, we're going to keep dreaming it. We're going to write the vision down. We're going to keep pursuing it. We're going to keep talking it. We're going to keep working towards it. And anything that stands in our way, we're going to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. We're going to chase it down and take it out of our path. We will not live in the prison of fear because perfect love casts out all fear. So enlarge our vision, Lord God. Help us to do that right now. And that we're willing to go out of here and face our fears, dispelling them. That we'll begin to live the life that you have destined for each and every one of us. And that we would stop accumulating possessions and start accumulating experiences, divine experiences, kingdom of God advancing experiences, miraculous experiences. That, Lord God, that we could build a resume of testimony that it had it not been for the hand of God here, it would have never happened. Have it not been for the hand of God there it would have never happened and our resume will show the mighty hand of God manifesting miraculously in and through our lives to bring us to the fulfillment of that divine purpose you have for each and every one of us so God I pray enlarge our vision help us enlarge our vision of who you are how mighty you are and help us to now, to make the decision right now God and seal it, Holy Spirit, this decision that we don't back down when we leave out of here, that we're going to face our fears and we're going to dispel them in the name of Jesus. To God be the glory. To God be the honor. And to God be all praise. Lord, we just dedicate our lives to you. Just come on, join me right now. God, we dedicate our lives to you. Jesus, we yield ourselves to you. You are our Lord and our Savior. You hear it from my lips, Lord. You are my Lord and my Savior. I am surrendered to your Lordship. I am surrendered to your rule. I am here to live for you. I'm here here to love on you and I'm here to be loved by you and I'm here to share the share with the world your love and your goodness and your mercy and your holiness and your righteousness I am yours and you are mine hallelujah so Lord God let us go forth in victory to bring glory and honor to you in and through the miracles that are work in our lives we pray in Jesus name amen amen, amen. hallelujah